Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast. As usual, this is the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. And as usual, I am not Matt Farrell. I am Sean Farrell. I am Matt's older brother. I'm a writer. With me, of course, is Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing okay. It's a cold and lazy Sunday here in New York City. And I'm just realizing how I want to slip into hibernation mode. So yeah, me too. wish me luck on staying awake during our conversation. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which was revisiting how carbon nanotubes will change renewable energy. And this episode dropped on January 11th, 2022. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder. You can support the podcast just by watching, just by listening, or by going to stilltbd.fm. There's a link there that allows you to support us directly. Or on YouTube, you can go to the membership button, which is a join button right below the video. Whichever way you're able to support us, we appreciate the help. It all does help the channel. So Matt, nanotubes, back again. T to the E to the A to the M. <laughs> the, right out of the gate, your video starts with, we're still waiting. Yes. So one of the things that occurred to me is if you were a betting man. Yes. Oh, God. What are you going to ask me? <laughs> what's the, the over under on the number of years it might take for this to suddenly uh, be like, oh, it's being used. It's happening. And then my follow up question is, what does it's happening? It's being used look like to you? OK, I would probably say if you put a gun to my head and said you have to pick, I'd probably say five to ten years. And part of the reason I'd say five to ten years is. It's still early days. The manufacturing process is the biggest holdup. It's easy to prove an idea in a lab. It's very difficult to take it from that stage into like a pilot stage. And from there into a, we're going to produce gobs of the stuff for the entire world perfectly every single time with very little waste. That's hard. And so it's like, that's why I think five to 10 years, we'll start seeing this in more of a meaningful way. And in a meaningful way, it's like a battery that is using carbon nanotubes or new wiring that is using carbon nanotubes that starts being put into people's homes or grids. You start seeing it showing up in these solar panels that I talked about. Like here's the first solar panel that uses this technology that captures the heat that's generated from the sun as well as the, the rays. So it's kind of get d doubling down on how much electricity it can generate. So it's, that's what I mean by meaningful when I talk about meaningful. Not some like when you're talking about graphene, it's like, some random company came out with headphones that are graphene headphones. It's like, no, that's not a meaningful yeah. use of graphene. <laughs> right. That's just cashing in on the name. It's going to be five to 10 years would be my guess. I don't recall seeing what the costs are associated with production of this. I know that at yeah. this point, it's got to be astronomical. It's got to be, be very expensive. It's going to yeah. be very expensive. And you talked about the one company that produces graphene that is They've effectively been able to a thousandfold improve their output, mm -hmm. which means that instead of a gram, they're making a kilogram. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not going to feed the world. But this stuff is very light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little goes a long way, understandably, yeah. especially yeah. considering it's the envisioned uses being wiring and you know extremely extremely thin uh hair wide filaments which if we were to start seeing those things being introduced as you point out solar panels that incorporate these there is the even fabric so i guess the just to be clear about what we mean by the fabric we mean fabric that could potentially do what like you could be <laughs> you could have a tent that has effectively solar power generation 
ability or maybe clothing where your phone could be plugged into something in your pocket and it could be charging while you're walking around outside. That's sort um, of thing. Yeah. To put on your sci-fi hat a little bit, it's, it's kind of like imagine sportswear that has these fibers woven into it along with sensors that could take the athlete's temperature, heart rate, all those kind of things. And it's actually being powered by the athlete's own body heat. So it's like, that's kind of one potential path you could go down with this. So maybe a sleeve that they put on you in the hospital and it's monitoring your vitals while you're wearing it and you are also what is powering. That sort of you thing. could also be powering, but it'd be very, very low power kind of stuff. But that same basic principle of how that would work can also be applied to, I talked about it in the video, but like you could apply it to semiconductors or electronics because heat control is one of the problems with electronics. So you could integrate this into some kind of like heat transfer so that you could pull the heat off of the, the processor to help keep it cool. And then you're reusing that energy to help even power the device itself. So it's like, it could help to mitigate how much power a device needs to get from an outside source. There's all these different ways you can use it. it it's kind of like you're a writer. It's like, it's like your, your mind can start spinning about all the yeah. possibilities, but actually making those a reality is the part where it's like, you have to keep your expectations in check. And for like Rice University, th they're showing that this kind of stuff can absolutely work with solar panels. Like they're, they're proving it can. And so now it's just a matter of, can this actually be integrated into a company's production line and can they make it a reality? Right. One of the things your video got me wondering about is have rice researchers figured out yet how to grow rice outside of patty? <laughs> <laughs> but that's a conversation for another video. <laughs> Connected to the cost issue, there mm -hmm. was this question that popped into my head as I was watching this. It's the potential is fantastic for, as you mentioned, solar panel efficiency improvements, mm -hmm. being able to increase efficiency. Was it by 80% or to 80%? It, to 80%. Okay. Clearly, that's an incredible number compared to the panels that are currently available. I wondered, would this immediately create a situation where you'd have multiple tiers of panels with a very high end that would only be available because of cost to a select few? Yeah. Or do you envision this being something that current solar panel usage would jump at because of the efficiency numbers being so it, high compared to current panels. In other words, if a power company is putting out a solar panel farm mm -hmm. and tomorrow they found out that, oh, there's this new panel, do you think that a company would, regardless of cost, immediately switch over to that newer panel just because of the 80%? Yeah. Or do you think this would be the sort of thing where there would have to be a person who would be pushing out multiple levels of product with the hope of being able to push the cost of the higher level down eventually to become more widely, widely consumed? It's going to be that. It's going to come out of an expensive high tier that very few people would want to take a risk on, especially when you're talking about commercial scale installations. They're not going to want to jump at this until they can prove that the return on investment is there. So it's going to be very high for kind of an elite crew and then it will slowly, the price will come down as the manufacturing gets better and better and better and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It's like pretty much any technology. There'll be a trickle down in that technology as it comes through. And one thing to point out is there already is tiers in solar panels today. It's like the solar panels that are put on satellites that NASA is shooting into <laughs> through, through the galaxy. <laughs> 
those things are crazy efficient. They're like really efficient. They're using those 50% efficiency panel kind of things. They cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. And so that's why you don't see those on my house because they're crazy. I was just going to ask, are they on your house? Yeah, but no, but no. <laughs> I wish okay. they were, but it's like, it's, it's possible to do this kind of stuff. It's just crazy expensive. And until the manufacturing becomes perfected to do it at a better cost, it'll never come into the mainstream. So that's the biggest challenge for carbon nanotubes until they can get the cost down it'll never became a, become a mainstream product. And some of the research that you described, uh, especially the research at Rice University, there were obvious government, including Department of Defense grants being used to create mm-hmm. this. How much of a concern is there that there will be a point where this will not become publicly available? Would this be something that could effectively be used in a way that somebody might say, well, this, is, this has become government property at this point? That this is, you know, being used in a way that in order to maintain it's happened in the past, it goes back, you know, 50 or 60 years. But there have been patents that have been held by the government out of a sense of like, we need to control this because this is too destabilizing or this is too risky to to use. Yeah, it's it's not even that far in the past. In the solid hydrogen video I did about plasma kinetics. They were in that situation just like a decade ago. Their patents were held by the military as being like too dangerous to lease out or they thought they wanted it for themselves. And so the patent was put on a list that it couldn't actually be patented by the company because they didn't want to let it get out there. Right. So it took a lot of fighting to get it released. And the program that was doing that was called, I think the acronym was SAWS. It's now defunct that that program doesn't exist. So it's harder for the government to do to them, to do to others what they did to them. So it, it is a risk, but with solar panels, I don't think that would happen. I really don't. There's not like, it's not a technology that can be warped. For there's not a solar of, panel race between us and the Soviets. Is, right. And there's know. not some solar panel ray gun. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like it's going to be. Yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's like, you can understand why a military would want to invest in this because imagine putting this in your Humvees and your tanks and, sure. you know, you have pop-up military bases that have these small, crazy efficient panels that can power that little facility. Yeah. So it reduces the need or even for an individual, lines. even an individual soldier with a solar panel built into a backpack that allows them to power right. whatever computer device they need to use. Right. So you can understand why they want to do it, but I don't think they would patent that into a, a black hole that would never get to the public. They would get it first, <laughs> obviously, and then mm-hmm. it would probably trickle out. A lot of the technologies we take advantage of today, like GPS, that was a government military <laughs> thing that was put out there. Now everybody uses GPS. So it's right. This kind of stuff would eventually trickle out, but it might slow it down, which is which would be a concern. Yeah, in my head now, I I can hear the Siri voice directing an army to veer left at the next <laughs> turn. <laughs> so, if there was a multi-tier market for something like the solar panel, what do you think the top tier would look like? Out, ignoring NASA's needs and NASA's willingness to spend, you know, here's a million dollars worth of solar panels on this one satellite. Ignoring them, who do you think the market is that is looking at those? I would look to, as an analogy, the car market. It's like, think about luxury cars. I would probably be looking at luxury roofing, solar roofing. So look at the Tesla solar roof. Look at, there's, there's a whole bunch of companies like uh, solarroof.se. There's these companies that are coming out with different solar tile technologies that look like shingles and stuff like that. I could totally see companies like that that are serving a high-end market anyway, leaning into this a little bit because then it can trickle down because the people that can afford to buy that will buy it. 
because mm-hmm. it's the newest, latest, best, and it's going to be crazy efficient. I could see companies like that make high-end solar panels, like you're talking about like LG, they could have a tier of just regular solar panels for residential homes that are just crazy efficient. They may not be big sellers, but they could be helping that high-end market. I think that's most likely where it would start. And then once they got to a scale, they might get to a point where then it hits commercial because then you'd be hitting large commercial installations where it's like a solar farm that might do one megawatt can suddenly be producing two megawatts. And if the cost isn't crazy high, they could see that return on investment. So it's, I think that's most likely the way it would work. Kind of an expensive residential, then commercial, and then it would trickle down to more of a broad, broad market. I'm wondering now about those solar farms that already exist. They've gone, you know, we see them popping up more and more lately. I would say the first times I started seeing them mm-hmm. driving on the highway, started seeing solar farms within the past five years. They're uh, all didn't over notice now. Them, didn't, yeah. didn't notice them in my, in my driving, which is limited, but didn't notice them in the routes I take until about five years ago. Yep. And so I'm wondering, let's assume that solar panel farms five to 10 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. How long are those panels potentially going to last? People can correct me if I get this wrong, but from my understanding, from the people I've talked to, commercial solar farms change their panels out fairly frequently. They don't wait mm. 20 years to change them out. They might be changing them out after eight years or 10 years. And it's not because they're broken. It's because they're trying to hit a certain max level efficient, of, uh, max efficiency, right? max efficiency for return on investment, as well as, you know, making sure that everything is operating smoothly. Right. So they do a constant turnover. And because they do that, there's actually a huge market for buying used panels from commercial installations. Right. Dirt cheap. Like Ricky Roy from 2 Da Vinci, he did that on his previous house. That's how he got his, they were commercial panels that were sold off and their performance was great. One of my patrons is doing the same thing. He's building out a small little kind of like tiny house from a trailer and he bought dirt cheap used panels that were <laughs> like 45 bucks a, a panel or something like that. It was like crazy cheap. So there's a market for it because they change them out so much and the panels are still good. They just have slight degradation or maybe a tiny crack in the corner, but it doesn't impact performance. So there's a constant turnover in, in facilities like that. Okay. So that was my question then about like, if a new entry into the market included something like this tech and mm-hmm. you had these panels out there that are on these farms, I wondered at what speed, at what pace, if a company decided they were going to switch over what that would look like. So it seems like it could actually be fairly fast if five years from now a panel was introduced and it economically made sense that within five or 10 years, a solar panel farm could be 100% transitioned into that newer, that newer, more efficient panel. Yeah, you might see a couple rows changed and then, you know, a year later, a few more rows are now in this new panel. So it's like they're going to be changing them out in a cycle. So it's you'd see in the next five to 10 years, all these kind of things slowly transitioning to these more efficient panels pretty quickly. Right. On to some listener comments that I caught my eye, like this one from Nolan who wrote graphene wires as a copper alternative would be a huge breakthrough. These steps bring us closer to carbon-based electrics, which open up so many new avenues. And I know that from your video, one of the things about conductivity is the inclusion of a metal in the production so that you end up with the metal incorporated into the nanotube. Mm -hmm. So would a copper alternative necessarily have to be copper or are they looking at other metals that 
end up with the same sort of conductivity as copper itself. In the labs, I believe they're looking at all kinds of metals for this, but I think you'd most likely still see copper <laughs> going forward, um, right. at least short term. And if that was happening, that means that copper would be still being used, but less of it would be used per filament than Perhaps, normal yeah. copper wiring. Possibly, yes. Which is a good thing because copper is crazy expensive right now. And it's like people who are building new homes sometimes will find their wiring ripped out. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, it's worth a lot of money. So it, it, finding alternatives that are as, as performant or better, it, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. There was also this from Huya Fish, which Huya Fish, I like the name, especially given the somewhat pessimistic comment of Huya. I've literally been waiting for graphene to take over the world for 12 years. Excuse me if I'm not more excited. Yeah. So 12 years from now, you, I asked you earlier if you were a yeah. betting man and you gave a five to 10 year window, but 12 years from now to take Huya's time frame that he has been waiting. Mm -hmm. Do you think Huya will be in a place where he will be saying, finally, it's here? Or do you think it's going to be one of those things that you talk about all too often in your channel, which are there are invisible changes happening behind you. And Bingo. as they step into place, you don't even really feel it. Yep. That's what I think it's going to be more of that. I don't think it's going to be like carbon nanotubes are everywhere. It's going to be more. So I'm of not going to walk out of my carbon <laughs> tube house and no. get in my carbon tube car and no. drive on a carbon tube bridge. No, you're going to see the solar panel farm and it's going to have panels that have carbon nanotubes in it, but you don't even know. You're just like, oh, there's a solar panel. Right. So it's going to be one of those. It's just going to be in the background and it's not, you're not going to be really aware of it that much. But if you look into it, you're going to be like, wow, there are quite a few products out there that have graphene or carbon nanotubes in them. And I think it's going to kind of catch you by surprise at some point, but it, it's not going to like be pervasive. It's not going to be like, like I mentioned those graphene headphones. You're not going to be seeing graphene on the labels of everything. <laughs> I don't think that's going I actually to think we happen. will. I think we will. I don't think it will necessarily mean there's actually graphene in the product, there. but I think yes. we will see graphene yes. used in marketing. Yes. It'll be in the As marketing, but it's not going to be real. You know, That's why I say meaningful, a meaningful use of the product. The RCA graphene use. 3000 television screen coming to your home, and it's not going to actually incorporate graphene in any meaningful way. That right. I think will happen. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. So I guess at a certain level, Huya, you might be waiting for just really good marketing to feel like you finally reached <laughs> that promised land. Sadly. But I guess does that lack of and you've you've done a lot of videos around a lot of different types of tech and you've and you've looked at a lot of different industries. Does that lack of a splashy, obvious hook mm -hmm. hold back the funding that could go into research? Like it's a I'm thinking in terms of like battery research, right? Elon Musk has had his hand on the throttle mm -hmm. by simply saying, I am, I am choosing to change the way cars are made. I am choosing to, to do this and driving an industry forward at a much faster pace simply because he has put so much energy and money into something that does have a splashy hook. Look, here's a car. You can see it on the street. You can get in and you can drive it. And it's different from all these other cars. And that's got an obvious hook. Solar panels are not that sexy hook. Nobody mm -hmm. is out there saying, did you see that black rectangle? Look how much sexier it is than this other <laughs> black rectangle. <laughs> so I'm wondering, does that impede 
interest in those investors who might, you know, venture capitalists? Is there something that an industry, is it really beholden now to the the number crunching inside of different industries to say, oh yeah, this panel would actually help save us 15%, so it's worth it. So we'll put money into that as opposed to a sexy public hook. I don't think a sexy public hook is going to hold a lot of this stuff back because there's behind the scenes, there's like public sexiness and there's like behind the scenes sexiness. Yeah, I guess what's sexy to a a CFO at a company is going to be very different from what's going to be sexy to a consumer. Right. In general, though, if you're talking about renewable energy, sustainable technologies, that entire space is kind of sexy right now because the climate change and there's a huge drive to get off fossil fuels. And so it's like there's an insane amount of investment and research going into all of this stuff right now. So I don't think carbon nanotubes would have a problem making that sales pitch publicly or privately at this point. Yeah. But there's a double edged sword of like a, a lot of times universities, researchers, whatever it is, fall into a trap of overhyping to get yeah. the funding. And then that overhype gets caught by the press and that comes very public. The public gets super excited. Two years pass and people are going, where's my flying car? And so it's like there's this double-edged sword to that hype. Like, you know, carbon nanotubes, graphene had that huge surge of hype and we've now kind of come off that crest, but it's still happening. It's still important, but it's not splashy anymore. So it's, that's where I closed out my video saying, I think the lack of hype around this is actually a good thing because it's got us into a more realistic expectation, but there's a potential that this could ramp back up and the hype could get out of control again. An analogy would be fusion energy isn't a hype cycle right now. Like insane amount of funding. Everybody's like, we've solved it. We're going to have fusion energy. It makes it sound like it's five years away. It's like, no, it's not five years away. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And Right. It's like, there's incredible progress, but it's getting overhyped. Calm it down. It's one of those things. So it's like, it comes in cycles. Right. So like for this right now, the cycle is on the low side because people got burned out from the hype 10 years ago but it's actually still happening. So that's kind of where I was saying the public sexiness isn't as important. Because yeah, you're talking a little happening. bit, it sounds like you're touching on, on effectively micro tech bubbles. Yeah. Bubbles yeah. Within, each, within each little avenue of the bigger tech industry as opposed to yep. the dot, you know, like the dot com bubble that was very specific to the internet as people yeah. who did not know internet suddenly said internet and yes. put money in internet that make me money. And then yeah. when that all fell apart and everybody stood there scratching their heads, yeah, like, well, yeah, having a dot com doesn't mean you have a business. I worked in that bubble. <laughs> that, was not, that was not pleasant when that bubble burst. <laughs> yes. I remember, uh, I remember but, you, you weathering the storm as best you could. Yeah. But it being a storm nonetheless. Oh, another round of layoffs. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> So to our listeners, I ask you, talked about the, the sexiness of the product, the idea of hype and the bubble nature of some of these different texts that Matt talks about in his channel. And I'm wondering from all of you, do you believe the hype? And not just about this product, but about any of the things he's talked about recently. Do you think that you see an overhyped conversation going on in the public sphere? Or do you think that things are kind of like coasting under the radar? Let us know whether you are yourself excited about this or that, or if you think that certain of these things are a little too promoted or underappreciated, let us know in the comments. You can go directly below this video on YouTube and leave a comment there. And if you're listening to us through a podcast provider, you can go to the contact information in the podcast description and reach out to us that way. 
A reminder, you can go to stilltbd.fm and there's a support the podcast link there that will allow you to support us directly. Or on YouTube, you can just press the join button and become a member on YouTube. Both those ways are great ways to support us. But if you can't do either of those, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you commenting, reviewing, and sharing with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew helps me bring the sexy back. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Thanks so much for listening.